Welcome to LA Radio Sessions. I'm your host, Mike Stark. LA Radio Sessions, it's where we explore all areas of pop culture. This time on LA Radio Sessions, we go back to the 90s to hear an interview with singer-songwriter actor Stephen Bishop. The interview centers around a book he did called Songs in the Rough, From Heartbreak Hotel to Higher Love, Rock's Greatest Songs in Rough Draft Form. It was a coffee table book showing the work of musicians in crafting the early lyrics of their legendary songs. It's a great trip down memory lane. But before we do that, we're going to talk radio. Besides this show, I produce a weekly podcast called Radio Waves, hosted by radio columnist Richard Wagner and myself, that covers radio news, info, and updates. On a recent episode, we were joined by KABC host, CNN political pundit, and just a funny guy, John Phillips. John is currently the centerpiece of KABC's talk radio format, holding down the midday shift with conservative talk. We spoke with him about the passing of Larry King and discussed the future of talk radio. John Phillips from KBC is with us. How are you, John? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. Richard's column this week is uh, mostly about Larry King. It's, Which is, it's by a, the way, not why you're here, but it's coincidentally that you happen to have a Larry King connection. Yeah, so tell us your Larry K- King connection and any great Larry King stories you might have. Well, briefly, I was Larry King's fill-in host um, over when he was at Aura, so this was post-CNN. I was actually working at CNN at the time, and then I, would, I had a carve-out in my deal so that I could fill in for Larry King, and that was always kind of a one of those trepidatious issues during contract negotiations mm. because Larry and CNN had a very complicated relationship, as you can imagine. But that was, that was always something that they gave me. And I was so fortunate to, to be able to uh, spend some time around Larry uh, as a guest and as a guest host uh, in his studio with his team. And uh, so many members of his team had been with him all those years. Uh, at CNN, and I think even some of them going back to the radio days. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is a lot of downtime over there, so you get a chance to you know shoot the breeze with all of these longtime Larry <laughs> staffers. And one of the things that you learned about Larry almost immediately is that Larry was the world's most horrible driver. <laughs> yes, really. Yes, yes. He is. He is not from California. He did not grow up driving cars. He's from the East Coast, and this was something he picked up later in life. Ooh. But Larry loved to drive. So if you have someone who's bad at something, yet they insist on doing it, that's a bad combination. No, it's not good at all. I can see him doing that, too. I don't know why. So you walk outside the studio. I was waiting for my car. And um, I was standing there with with one of Larry's longtime producers. And Larry's, it's a very tight parking lot over at that studio. Extremely tight. It looks like one of those auto body shops where you need a stick of butter to get in. (laughs) And um, so we're standing there, and Larry's car, Larry's spot is right up front, and it was left empty. And I said, oh, look at this. Larry King has the primo parking spot over at the Larry King studio. <laughs> he goes, John, that's for a reason. And I said, what happened? He said, well, 
One time we were going out to Nate and Al's, which was Larry's place in Beverly Hills. And the only thing that was available was parking on the street. And it was one of these situations where Larry had to parallel park. <laughs> and so he's standing on the corner waiting for Larry to park, watching Larry pull in in his car. And Larry pulls in this big boat of the car and he slams into the car that, that's behind him. He then puts it in drive, slams into the car that's in front of him, puts it in reverse, slams into that, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And he just destroys these two cars. I don't know what kind of damage he did to his car. He then gets out of the car nonchalant like nothing ever happened. His producer is standing on the corner and looks at Larry and goes, Larry, what did you do? And Larry goes, without missing a beat or breaking stride, that's why they call them bumpers. <laughs> Classic. Well, that's good. You, you win. You win. You win the Larry King uh, story award. No doubt about it. That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. So you would fill in for him when he was on vacation or had a day off or how, to, how did that work? Well, if you want the truth, it was when he was going through a pretty nasty divorce. And I, <laughs> I didn't ask too many questions, and sometimes I'd get the call very late. Right. That's funny. And you said you were a guest on his show as well, right? Yeah, I was. Yes. I was. But, but yeah, I get to guest host whenever Joy Behar wanted to sleep in. <laughs> I could touch that, but I'll leave it alone. Yeah, I think that's not, just... not in the same bed as me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, well, that's that. a re that's a relief. Yeah. Well, okay. see, this is perfect then because you have the experience for what what we're proposing. Okay. Okay. And see, lay, see, lay it out for him. Here's, uh, here's my theory. This Richard. is this is actually last week's column when we started thinking about this, and I didn't put your name in the column because I didn't want to bug you. Okay. But my thinking is that with all this, and you can call it real or perceived, depending on who you want to talk to. Mike is one of those uh, you know psycho left wing uh, hippies and believes that you know anything that the right wing says should be censored and all thank that stuff. you very much exactly <laughs> <laughs> but real or perceived censorship and uh, i was thinking that that would actually give smart talk stations the ability to start programming and it doesn't have to only be right wing radio i was just thinking that political talk radio which kind of lost favor due in part to social media and due in part to other things like podcasts if those are being censored and you want to start having an open dialogue, stations could then bring it back. You just need to have a host good enough to do it, kind of like the early days of Limbaugh. And there's not a lot of guys around like that. You happen to be one. Well, Yeah, in fact, I brought your name up after his column. I said, the only guy that could do this that I know of right now is John Phillips. Well, if you, well thank you very much for that. If you really want to censor um, conservatives, though, what you have to do is make sure all of us use T-Mobile. And then <laughs> and no one's getting through it all. Well, be able to say a word. You don't have to worry about that. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I, I want to touch on your point about the competition because because what you said is is so right. Um, you know, radio used to have really a monopoly on yeah. the ability to talk about news and politics because. There were three networks for so so long, and a small portion of their their uh, programming lineup was devoted to news. 
So if you happen to have a passion for news, if you have had, happen to have a passion for politics or, I mean, even sports, there were no sports channels for a very long time. Right. Uh, the radio was the, the only game in town. And yeah, we do now compete against podcasts and Sirius XM and all of those things. But I, I would argue, as someone who worked in the world, that cable news is really not news. Cable news is talk radio with cameras. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that, that in terms of competition, that really is the number one place for, for AM radio and, you know, in, in some cases, FM talk as well, because they're doing the same thing we're doing, only you can, you can watch it at home and there's that extra added element of video. Right. And sex appeal if you're talking about Lou Dobbs. Yeah, that is. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we, we were thinking back to the old days of KBC when they had a, a, a lineup that had conservatives, liberals, that had a good mix of a lot of different things. Michael Jackson, there was Ray Bream late at night, and Bruce Hurchinson was doing a show there. And there was a good mix of a lot of different opinions, and, and we don't and see that that's now. That's actually kind of your, I mean, you, you obviously lean conservative, but you have fun doing it, and you have different opinions on the show. So... I just the maybe it's utopian, but the idea of having a station that allows different viewpoints on the same show and on the same station appeals to me. Yeah, I, look, I, I think there's something to be said for having you know uh, interesting conversation, and you can't have interesting conversation if it's just an echo chamber. Right. So I think the the number one thing is that the show has to be entertaining. And the show can be entertaining any number of ways. It can be funny. You can make points that people hadn't heard of before. You can have outrageous personalities on. You can have, you know, it all entertaining shows have to have some degree of conflict. And if you don't have the other side on, or you don't at least explain the other side, it's hard to do heroes and villains if there's only heroes and there's no villains or, you know, there's no Batman without the Joker. Um, That being said, I think it would be difficult to have that that old school KABC lineup in today's mm-hmm. world. And I say that because take, for example, uh, the Superfan. The Superfan had a you know wildly successful afternoon sports talk show. And Steve Edwards after that. Steve Edwards did two hours of sports talk uh, each, each weekday on KABC. Right. If you were to do that today, I don't think something like that, even though it's eclectic programming and, and certainly they were bold personalities, I don't know if that would work. And I don't know if it would work because if you want sports talk programming, there are any number of stations in the market and on Sirius XM and on television and, and podcasts and other places where that's all they do. So if you like sports, you don't have to just listen to this one little, you know, one little carve out in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. You can get it all day long. And I just think that that we live in a world where people don't shop at Mervyn's anymore. People don't shop at JCPenney's anymore. If you want shoes, you go to your favorite shoe store. If you want jeans, you go to your favorite jean store. Everything is kind of artisan and and you know tailor-made for one specific type of audience. And you have to do that one thing better than everyone else. So it's niche programming then. It is. I mean, you know, when I, it's my birthday is tomorrow and I used to always. Happy birthday. Thank you. As a child, you know, it was, you'd have to bring in the cupcakes for the class and, you know, everyone gets a cupcake because your mom made the cupcakes or brought in the cupcakes and you'd get it at, you know, Vaughn's Pavilions or you'd get it at, (laughs) at, at, 
you know, Ralph's. Now, if I were to, to call my mom and say, hey, let's get cupcakes at Ralph's, she'd be like, what are you doing going cheap? cheap on me is sprinkles closed <laughs> you know it's like you know you think of cupcakes true. Think of like let's go to the cupcake store that's yeah. true and the only uh, problem with that though is then you still have the divide and you know it, yeah it, you know there's but there's I, you, you can be cynical about the uniting but somehow we do have to come together and the only way you can come together is to have conversations yeah no that, that's that's absolutely true uh you know unfortunately and i think technology is largely to blame for this it, you know, we live in, the, in a world where everything is absolutely tailor-made to our, our preferences. Um, yep. You know, it, you no longer have to wait until whatever day, whatever day and time your re- favorite show comes on. You can just go on Hulu and get it on demand. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's just we, we live in that world. And the younger you are, the more you live in that world. I was just I was having this conversation with my, with my uncle yesterday. He's a high school economics teacher. And he said that the lockdown is probably going to have the, the most negative impact of all the people in the population on children in the long term because they rely on that social interaction of going to school every day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're taking a class, sometimes what you learn is from a story the teacher tells that doesn't necessarily directly relate to whatever's going on in the book. It can spark something. And they're missing out on all of that. And, and what's going to happen is they're going to be more tied to their computers and their phones and their technology, which is so far removed from any kind of world that requires human interaction. You know, they're going to have a very difficult time doing that when they, when they move into the real world. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, thanks, John, for joining us. We're, we're both sad that we're not going to be able to have a, a radio station like we envisioned yeah. based on what you're saying. But you're, you're right about the niche programming. And I think uh, unless things change, it's going to stay that way. And, and yeah. with all of the choices that people have, like you said, podcasting and, and the various uh, Sirius XM and cable and everything else, it, it, it does make sense that it'll, it'll continue to be that way. Yeah. And I think it's it's going to go even more in that direction. I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. But I was talking to a friend who works at a, a sports broadcasting network. And he was saying that just even within the confines of a channel that does nothing but talk about sports, there are certain sports that when their they're, they're sports program, let's call it, well, it's SportsCenter, um, when sports centers on, if, if they talk about certain sports or they do a package about certain sports, like TVs go off. Mm-hmm. So just a sports station, they have to talk about certain things. And if, you know, suddenly they give you the highlights and fill in the blank, nobody cares. And everyone starts moving on to the next uh, one. So it's not just a sports network. It's a sports network that doesn't talk about whatever right right well thanks again john for joining us hopefully we can call on you again because you're a lot of fun to have on the show for one and really appreciate it you thanks coming for having on. me in any time this is la radio sessions on klbp my name is mike stark stephen bishop's biggest hit is the yacht rock classic from 1976 called on and on He's a prolific singer-songwriter who has a ton of Grammy and Oscar nominations under his belt and has even appeared in TV and film roles, including The Blues Brothers and National Lampoon's Animal House, which he wrote the title tune for. In 1996, he did a book called Songs in the Rough 
from Heartbreak Hotel to Higher Love, Rock's Greatest Songs in Rough Draft Form. It's a great coffee table book that spotlights the handwritten lyrics of some of music's biggest hits. Around that time, I sat down with Stephen in his Hollywood home, and we discussed the making of this book. We'll start this segment with the theme from Animal House and the classic scene, He Appears, where John Bellucci's character, Bluto, confronts Stephen, who is serenading a young co-ed in the fraternity house. Sit back and enjoy this trip down memory lane with Stephen Bishop on L.A. Radio Sessions. idea of uh, a whole book of rough drafts of um, of like great songs you know from great songwriters and uh, what people people never see the actual rough draft of a song you know how, how songs are written you know with you know crossed out lines and uh, you know um, you know crossed out words and different ideas and you know where it could have gone and this kind of thing and so what I did um, for three years of my life, was called every, practically every songwriter in the world uh, that I thought really w- would be great for this book, and um, and and, so, and and track down songs living and dead uh, from living and dead songwriters that uh, I thought would be great for this book, and uh, you know I used my own money to to fund the whole thing, and I didn't make really any money on it, but. Uh, you know, did it and put the book out there, and people like it. And it's not avail. It's it's hard to find one that these days. But uh, it's one of those things. Like I, the publisher wound up the guy who was my my champion there at the publishing company, book publishing company, wound up moving on, getting another job, somebody else. So all of a sudden, I was left with you know 
working with people who weren't that into it. And so while it did pretty much sell out in its first printing, um, they they didn't know how to sell it. So, you know, that was that. There will be no volume two. <laughs> but I did it, you know. It was a nice accomplishment. You know, I'm proud of it. I wanted to get songs, more than anything, songs that were really interesting, you know? Songs that I thought were very interesting and that, and that people could relate to. And uh, a wide variety of songs, um, you know? These songs are, are, you know, on the cover it says Rock's Greatest Songs. Well, it's, it's not like it's all, you know, Aerosmith, Nirvana, right. Green Day or whatever, you know? Pop it's pop, yeah. and it's and, and rock is a big umbrella. Right. So, right. you know, you under the big umbrella of of rock, you can put a lot of different things, um, including I have, uh, you know, everything from um, Bruce Springsteen's Tenth uh, Avenue Freeze Out to Heartbreak Hotel. Well, that's probably my favorite overall. I have a lot of favorites, but that that's actually my favorite out of all of them because. Um, it looks great, <laughs> and there's just all this information on it. Um, at the very top of the page, there's a little doodle that I think um, Mayborn Axton wrote, uh, like made this little doodle of a heart that looks like a hotel, which is really cute. And uh, it really came about because Tommy Durden, uh, the co-writer, came across this newspaper uh, article. It was a real small little article about this fellow who uh, killed himself and they found all they found on on him was this little thing that he had written saying I walk a lonely street so he was kind of down and he was telling uh, Mayborn Axton about it and she was a magazine writer and they were talking about it and she started to I think do an article about it for a magazine and then she said hell this would make a good idea for a song and they had a piano there and uh, she was really good friends with Elvis she was friends with Elvis's early manager and she used to hang out with Elvis in the early days before he was really, you know, very successful. And uh, she used to feel sorry for him back then because he was so broke all the time, right? <laughs> so she said, after they had written it, she said, I've, I've written, we've written your first number one. And uh, they got this guy named Glenn Reeves to record it. And they told him, make it shaky like Elvis, which they wrote on the actual rough draft here. You know, and they said, shaky like Elvis and, uh, you know, really mock it up. So they took him in the studio and did a demo. And he was like kind of like a, I think, a, a, you know, he used to sing back then in Florida and do kind of uh, takeoffs off different singers. And he used to already do a takeoff off Elvis, I think. This is the story. And uh, he wound up uh, going in there and, and, and on a demo, when, you know, since my baby left me. I find a new place to dwell. You know, he really right. mocked it up. And they said, no, really mock it up. But, you know, and he was like doing all that. Right. So um, they really liked it. And uh, she took it to play for Elvis. And uh, I guess before she told him, uh, it's called Heartbreak Hotel. And, he, and Elvis said, I, I don't like that title. I, don't, I really don't like it. And she said, no, no, you're going to love it. So they played it for him. And uh, Elvis went, you know, I love it. Hot dog. I love it. That is, that is great. You know, I want to record that. So uh, he, he recorded it and he kind of copied his copier, meaning he, he copied the Glenn Reeves style, you know. It's just, uh, is, yeah, it's my boogie, but, you know, yeah. he did all that and made it really, you know, 
Ultra Elvis. Well, since my baby left me, well, I found a new place to dwell. Well, it's down at the end of Lonely Street, that heartbreak hotel where I'll be. I'll be just a lonely baby. Well, I'm so lonely. I'll be just a lonely. I could die. Although it's always crowded, you still can find some room for broken Some songs that I really wanted to get um, that were heartbreaking because I called up this guy, um, Bob Feldman, who um, was a teenager in in the Bronx or, or somewhere in the East back there, and uh, he was at a soda shop uh, having an ice cream sundae, and uh, he noticed two teenagers, you know, young teenagers, a boy and a girl, are having an argument, and uh, he actually heard them say... The girls say, look, my boyfriend's back and you're going to be in trouble. You said things that weren't very nice, you know. And he wrote it down on his little napkin there, right? And then he kept the napkin and he wound up writing it with two other songwriters um, and wrote the famous My Boyfriend's Back mm -hmm. for, the, for the Angels, which became like a number one. It was, it was a classic record. Um, but that's gone. And I called him and I said, he said, I think I have it in the garage, you know, so every way, he shouldn't have told me that, because that was, I mean, I was relentless back then, and I was, I was, I kept my notes really well, and I, I would call every single person that I had a lead on. Man, I, I really went after it, and um, he finally, like, you know, I, I would get his phone machine, and his phone machine turned into, if this is Stephen Bishop, oh, no. please leave me alone. <laughs> Please, give my family some rest, you know. Please, you know, we look for the napkin, you know. It was after a while I, I was... And then you just gave up. I, I gave up, yeah. yeah, I gave up. He went away and you hung around and bothered me every night. And when I wouldn't go out with you, you said things that weren't very nice. My boyfriend's back and you're gonna be in trouble. Hey! 
Stephen Bishop after the break. This is LA Radio Sessions, and my name is Mike Stark. 99.1 KLBP LP, Long Beach Public Radio. If you like mornings on the beach and you don't have time to find us at 8 o'clock in the morning, you can find us all over the place. You can find us at 22SMedia.com, BPMBeats1.com, and LA Radio Studio on the LA Radio Studio stream. And on HighDefinitionNews.com, remember, it's spelled H-I-DefinitionNews.com, and the Facebook pages of Mornings on the Beach and 22 West Radio. Let's return to our conversation with singer-songwriter Stephen Bishop. This is LA Radio Sessions on KLBP, Long Beach Public Radio. I used to call um, Paul McCartney's brother, Mike McCartney, to try and get a, some pictures for it. And there was this one picture I always wanted to put in the book that I'd seen somewhere. Very rare picture of Paul and John writing, I saw her standing there in 1963, and is the only shot of them ever writing a song. And they're just really into it, you know, black and white shot that Paul's brother, uh, Michael McCartney, took. And I wanted to use this, you know, so I had to talk to him and get permission. And uh, there I am calling all, all the way over to Liverpool, and I'm talking to, you know, Paul's brother, Mike McCartney. And he sounds just like him. And he's like, hello, really? <laughs> you know, yeah, that's a great picture. Yeah, and it was very up and friendly and fun. And, yeah. and uh 
And it made and, the book. And, I, and it made the book, but I mean, I, I mean, I must have called him about five times, you know. Well, call me next week, and we'll talk, okay? Okay, I go, I'm right in the middle of something. I go, oh, okay. So I call back the next week. They go, oh, hello, hello, yeah, how you been, man? Yeah, can I put you on, can I put you on hold? Yeah, right, put me on hold, like, you know, long distance to, to Liverpool. Oh, okay. And just, you know, now I'd hear that song, you know. You know, with the clock ticking by. One, two, three, five! across this um, rough draft of Dylan's, I mean, I just loved it because this, this rough draft is, is really interesting. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's really unusual writing. I mean, very um, right from his head onto the page. I mean, through, he typed it out, but it, it was very unusual style of writing here. 
and he puts notes about his songs and it's just kind of pretty rambling but it's pretty fascinating we tried to get the the rights to to use a dylan and we at that time we had blowing in the wind a little bit of it him writing it out and they they originally weren't going to let us use anything once they found out about it and i wrote a letter to dylan and just said you know how do you write a letter to dylan you know um first of all you're a genius you know i mean (laughs) how do you not like sound like you're you know you know being a kiss up there um and i was uh you know i had actually gone to his chiropractor (laughs) years ago so i had met him years ago but i hadn't seen him in years so you know, he let us use it, which is great. Uh, really, really happy about that. Well, early in the morning Till late at night I got a poison headache but I feel all right I'm pledging my time To you Hoping you'll come through too Well, the hobo got too high And it came to me naturally He stole my baby And he wanted to steal me and I'm pledging my time to you, hoping you come through too. Won't you come with me, baby? I'll take you where you want to go. And if it don't work out, you'll be the first to know. I'm pledging my time to you, hoping you come through too. I can hardly breathe Everybody's gone but me and you And I can't be the last to leave I'm pledging my time To you Hoping you'll come through too Well, they sent for the ambulance Then one was sent Somebody got lucky But it was an accident I'm pledging my time To you Hoping you'll come through too
is really interesting because days Jesus saves. Right, right. Um, well, I got a hold of that early on. That was one of my first ones, which I really love. It's it's now in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but it. it I think that's his very first idea about Purple Haze, and uh, I think he was probably stoned beyond belief when when he wrote some of these lines because this this original rough draft is uh, there's like hardly any. I think I think there's none of the original lyrics that wound up being on the record, but it's like purple haze, beyond insane. Is it pleasure or is it pain? See my body painted blue and red, and you know, he must have been taking something real good to right. come up like with that. The, the, it looks like it's been crinkled up too, or thrown away. Yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, my hair is blowing in their minds. Through the haze, I see a thousand crosses scratched into something. I see fetus unborns, you know, I'm like, hello. Yeah. All right, time for dinner there, yeah. Jimmy. I got that from uh, Gene Simmons, who's an old friend of mine. I actually used to be um, pretty good pals with Gene Simmons in the olden days, running around New York, and uh, he would uh, 
At one point he told me, Bishop, your wish is my command. Or something like that. And I, because I said, what, what could you do for me? If I wanted like, what, six girls? You know, he asked me what, what my uh, fantasy was. And I said, okay, yeah, six beautiful women and me alone in a hotel room. You know, I, just as a kind of joke. Wrong thing to say. Anyway, you got it. <laughs> and, uh, I never followed that up, and I, I really I should have should have done that because, <laughs> what the heck? Yeah, but rock and roll all night was. Um, um, there are different phases of a of a rough draft, and there's like the early phase where you can't even read it. There's this other phase where you can read parts of it and crossed out lines, and then a couple of crossed out lines, and this was just more towards the end of that. Um, this this actually came from a song called uh, "Drive Me Wild." That was it. And I had that rough draft, but we couldn't print that. Uh, Is there anything symbolic about the fact that it's printed on a on a counting sheet? <laughs> oh, Gene has always been a, a rock. You know, he always called me a rock accountant that I look like that. But really, um, he's really like the, those guys gear the whole thing about money. They never, you know, said anything different. You know, it's all about the the big bucks. Yeah. 
to have a new freeze out was uh, I think we got that through uh, Hard Rock Cafe. And I wanted just to have something from uh, Bruce Springsteen. On the other page, we have uh, Sometimes at Night, which is uh, a song he has that he's never released. And uh, he has some cross-outs and different lines in that. Most of anything, his his writing is so unusual. For a guy like him, you'd think he would have these big, you know, I don't know, capital letters and bold and, you know, and... He's he's so bold on stage, but but uh, his 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 uh, his writing is really actually very uh, very different like that. You know, you'd have to see it. It's very uh, interesting. I think a handwriting analysis person would come up with some good stuff. It's a great song. Not a lot of crossouts, but uh, uh, actually, a weird thing happened. I was in um, on Robertson in uh, Beverly Hills and. I'm in my car and I pass by Springsteen and his wife and his his kids, you know, just out for a stroll, I guess, or shopping. And so I thought, oh, this is fate, you know. I, I guess I better try and get a rough from her or an interview or something, sure. you know. I think I already had this. It was actually in the book. I showed it to him. Um, and he said, oh, that's funny, you know. And he, he, and he started looking through the book a little bit. And he went, oh, this looks great, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and she loved it. Uh, yeah. She thought it was great. But we didn't all go bowling or anything. Yeah, right.
Well, I mean, on and on was uh, uh, is is really uh, uh, one of the best rough drafts I came across, really, because uh, the original lyrics were so horrible. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, I mean, some some of the I mean, I have my book here, so I could yeah. go right to it. The original lyrics of on and on are just some of the worst lyrics. Down in Jamaica, they got lots of crazy women. Feed you mangoes, then they break your heart. You know, catch a plane, take it right into town. Then you find a love, buy a lover in a five and ten cent store. I mean, just horrible, horrible lines that would have never seen. This song would have never seen the light of day with remember, lines like that. Do you remember specifically writing those lines? No. No, I don't. I don't remember specifically writing those lines. But uh, no, it's funny because on this, all like my my really good lines were like written in the corner or written on the side. Um, I was I was brought up to believe you really have to save paper when you write, you know, so you don't want to use a lot of paper. Right, right. <laughs> so I would always try and get everything on one page, you know. So I'd squish it in and write on the side, and I still do that. I have this thing about saving paper. It's weird. It's it's from my my background, my mom, and you better save your paper, you know. Down in Jamaica, they got lots of pretty women. Steal your money, then they break your heart. Lonesome Sue, she's in love with old Sam Taken from the fire into the frying pan On and on, she just keeps on trying And she smiles when she feels like crying On and on, on and on, on Alone in the moonlight, he saw his woman kiss another man. So he takes a ladder, steals the stars from the sky, puts on Sinatra and starts to cry. On and on, he just keeps on trying, and he smiles when he feels like crying. On and on, on and on, on and.
thanks to Stephen Bishop, Richard Wagner, and John Phillips for being on today's show. Find out more about Stephen's music and activities at stephenbishop.com. You can find out more about Richard and my Radio Waves podcast by going to laradiowaves.com. Thanks for listening to LA Radio Sessions. I'd love to hear what you think of the show. Drop me a note at mike at laradiostudio.com or visit and like the LA Radio Sessions Facebook page. Stay tuned. More to come.